or talks as or are we being contentious? Now, when, when I explained to my wife Mary what I was talking on today, she kind of gave me this look and snickered a little. And so I, I think that as all of these topics we've gone through, I think almost every time the speaker, this is really an issue I have to deal with. And so I'm thinking that I probably have to deal with contentiousness. But when you look back, and we'll look back at all of the topics we've covered so far, each one of them is on a continuum where you can be all the way to one side, maybe the good side of whatever the topic is, or all the way to the other side. But most likely you're somewhere in between, and you probably move from time to time within that um, topic. So I am Mike, and it is the Christmas season, so there's a reindeer. Um, why a reindeer? I don't know. I just think he looks cool. He looks do we have anyone in here that's a type A personality? I've heard this church talking about being a type A personality, so I had to Google what is a type A personality. It's a type of, it's a personality type characterized by ambition, high energy, and competitiveness. Yeah, that probably describes us, and thought to be susceptible to stress and heart disease. So there's a negative to that. Um, I think this guy is probably not a type A personality. And that's kind of sometimes what I strive to do is to sit back a little bit. Um, so we have this continuum. Contentiousness is what we're going to talk about. So just keep that picture in mind and, and keep in mind that we're not necessarily talking about people that are always on and always um, in your face and always being contentious. But we move back and forth on, the, on this continuum contentiousness scale, um, people that are argumentative, people that are insensitive could fall into this category. And if you're sitting there thinking that, no, I'm probably not that person, you probably work with someone like that, your coworkers, maybe someone in your house, or maybe if you ask your coworkers, your boss or your family, they might see things a little bit differently. Um, So we all fall in that continuum based on a lot of things. It could be that we're feeling insecure, we're just having a bad day, uh, we're feeling hurt for some reason, or my favorite word, we just feel like being obstinate. And that does happen. Um, 1 Timothy 3.3 says an overseer must be peaceable. The word there, peaceable, or non-contentious, it depends on the um, translation you're looking at, um, is kind of a contrast to what Paul describes as false teachers in um, 6.4 as having an unhealthy craving for controversy and quarrels about work. You know, he, Paul said that in 3.2, See that up there? I'm sorry, Titus 3 2. He says that we're subject to rulers and authorities, obedient, ready for every good work. We've talked about that before. And we must not slander anyone, but be peaceable, gentle, showing courtesy to all. And I think when he says courtesy to all, he means to all. Maybe even to that person that hurt us or we disagree with. Now, there's certain times that it's okay to be disagreeable. We'll talk 
a little bit about that in just a minute. These are the topics we've covered so far. This is what an overseer ought to be like. And again, each one of these can be on a continuum. Um, above reproach, that's something we're to strive for, morally pure balance and so forth. And that's a whole list of things that we may or may not hit the mark on. And so we're just going to talk through this a little bit and give you maybe some tools to consider how you might improve on your own life or how you may help those guys around you. Paul's concerned particularly with people that habitually demonstrate inappropriate attitudes that are far left or, I'm sorry, far right on that scale. But he's also concerned with people that are to the left, but may from time to time, and maybe it's only with one person or two people, perhaps just with your family, perhaps it's in the car that you tend to bounce further to the right. And that's also of concern. But about disagreeing, it's okay to disagree. In essentials, unity. In non-essentials, liberty. In all things, charity. I've seen that attributed to a lot of people. This this guy's the uh, the furthest date back that I found it attributed. And it was 19. I'm sorry, it was six, 1625, I believe. Um, BCC holds on to that as well. It's not in our statement of faith, but when you go or the Constitution, but when you go and look at the web page, it says that we hold essential those areas. We accept and hold essential those areas of doctrinal teaching on which there has been general agreement among all true Christians. And our statement of faith then includes 11 items that are primary doctrine that we all agree to. But that means there's a whole lot of stuff that we have liberty to disagree on. It goes on to say, that aside from those, we allow freedom or liberty in other areas of doctrinal matters, provided that any interpretation is based upon the and that no interpretation shall become an issue which hinders the ministry to which God has called us. And what's the ministry God's called us to? To know Christ, make him known. So those are two things. If it's biblically supported, doesn't hinder the ministry, then surely we have liberty to see things from a slightly different aspect. In his, the book that we're using the basis of the study, The Measure of a Man, Gene Getz um, talks about several examples of contentiousness uh, between apostles. And the first one he brings up is Paul and Barnabas. Besides being best friends and close companions, they did some traveling together, and they really are close. But they came to a disagreement over whether to take John Mark on a second missionary journey after he, well, he bailed during the first one. Barnabas um, wanted to give John Mark another chance, but Paul had lost confidence um, in John Mark. Um, Barnabas believed that I'm sorry, um, Barnabas appeared to not want to harm John Mark's development and thought that this man should come along anyways. Um, Getz suggests that Paul learned from this at one point, 
when he um, and Silas went one direction and Barnabas uh, took John Mark and went another direction, that he learned this because later in life he's got a lot of interaction with Timothy. And that reflects maybe a softening of heart, maybe a change in perspective. In some of the other letters, we see him as a much more gentle and sensitive man than is demonstrated in this one event here. But he has the same strong conviction to the Great Commission. That aspect, the mission, never changes. But perhaps his thinking changed down the road. So who was right and who was wrong? Barnabas, uh, um, Paul? Um, Getz suggests that Paul, in his passion for the ministry, may have been a little insensitive to Mark in his training. And that Barnabas, who had a better people person, soft skills, looked at it from a different perspective. So neither, neither one was necessarily right or wrong at the time, but that's just an example of contention between the apostles. Now, do we have contention within our church? Sure, it comes up. Do we within our table groups? Perhaps. In our families? Absolutely. So just think about that. Another example is Paul and Peter. Galatians 2, 11 through 13. That's kind of small. If you have a Bible, pull it out if you want to follow along. Galatians 2, starting with uh, verse 11. But when Cyphus came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. Pretty strong language. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself fearing the circumcision party. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. But when I saw their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Paul, if you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile, not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? Just an example. I opposed him to his face. I saw this Error in his ways. You know, this is pretty strong language. Is this method of confrontation right? You know, who was right and who was wrong in this situation? It certainly appears that Paul was right in calling out uh, Peter's compromise, which became a stumbling block, as he mentions to others. We need to call each other out. We need to point out certainly errors in teaching. But are we being just being doing it to be contentious? It's clear that God used great men to carry out his work. He used lesser men to carry out his work. And we are all human, even the apostles, as as this demonstrates. We all make mistakes. And we can all expect to be in a process of growing spiritually. And I hope that's something that you're seeing within your tables and your discussions. The third example he used was um, Sons of Thunder. I love that. I'd like to be named Sons of Thunder. James and John. These two, called by Jesus, appear to be in a state of contentiousness. If they're going to rile up the other apostles, if anyone's going to, these two could do it. But they appear to be in contention regarding position of power. Now recall that they approached Jesus. In fact, 
their mother approached Jesus at one point and asked for special consideration for James and John. And they also approached Jesus and asked to be placed with him, one on one side, one on the other, in his glory. When the other apostles heard of their boldness or audacity, they all became indignant, which led to a teaching moment by Jesus to correct their thinking about whether they were here to serve or be served. Now, this isn't about the teaching moment. It's about the fact that they stirred up the other apostles by seeking a position of authority. So keep this attitude of James and John in mind and how they stirred up the other apostles and contrast that with what we see of them after Pentecost, after the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Remember, gave, John gave up his life. He was killed by Herod. And James went on to defend the gospel um, as a dedicated apostle. And he's the one that wrote in an older, maybe a wiser perspective, we know love by this, that he laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. I think he learned something from that early seeking of power and position. And maybe he matured along the way. We're all on that spiritual journey. We're all incomplete. God changes us. His apostles learned to love one another as Christ loved them. And there's something about unity amongst each other that is very important. It was certainly important to Christ as this was what he prayed to the Father for just prior to his crucifixion. And Paul wrote about unity. The Christians, to the Christians in Rome, he instructed them to live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Do not be wise in your own estimation. If possible, be at peace with all men. Be peaceable. Pursue things with peace and building up one another. Now may God call, I'm sorry, now may God who gives perseverance and encouragement grant you to be of the same mind with one another, that with one accord you may, with one voice, glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So we need to be in unity. Our church encourages unity in the essentials and freedom to disagree on the non-essentials of faith. We have some examples of contentious behavior. So what might cause contentiousness in us? This is a person, not a personality, this is a, a inner trait that we may have. And again, we may be all the way on the right of that scale or we may be all the way on the left, but we move. So when we do find ourselves contentious, is it because of selfishness and jealousy? Is it our sin nature that's bringing that out? Is it because we have bad parental role models? Now, we've all had experiences growing up. Each one of us are different. Some of us never had a peaceful home modeled to us. Everything, all the decisions we made were through argument and through contentious behavior. That's a possibility. Is it because of bad habits? Even if we had peacemaking modeled for us in the home, we can certainly build bad habits as we grow in a competitive society, which we know we're in, where to win means getting the last word. Do we fall into that trap? 
Are we contentious because of insecurity? You know, insecurity can certainly lead to being withdrawn from other people. But in some, it leads to being overly dominant and aggressive and assertive. Is it our insecurity that's causing us to be contentious? Or is it bitterness? You know, bitterness starts out as anger. Starts out as anger maybe towards one person. It could go to a couple people. And over time, if it's not dealt with, that anger becomes bitterness. It gives the devil an opportunity in our life, as we read in Ephesians 4.25. So if we're to be a non-combative, non-contentious, peaceable person, what do we do about it? Get suggests there's a number of steps we can do. Number one, evaluate the root of the problem that leads to that behavior. And that's looking back, is it the sin nature? Is it my home of my, my origin? Is it my home? Is it habits? Look back at those questions. Secondly, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. I think in every chapter we've heard, one of the solutions to getting better at whatever this area is, get in the word. Be praying. Renew your mind. Having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. God already sees us as perfect in Christ. However, we're also experiencing the process of sanctification. We're not there yet. In Philippians, we read, Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. And what? The peace of God which surpasses all understanding, will guard your heart and your mind in Christ alone. Right There's the, the answer. If we have a sense of contentiousness in us. He mentions putting on the full armor of God. He instructs us to get rid of bitterness, rage, and anger, and be kind and compassionate to one another. And if we need to, confess. If there's a particular person or a particular group of people that you have hurt through contentious behavior, confess to them. Seek forgiveness. Ask them for forgiveness. Recognize our own flaws. But also maintain a balance between divine strength and human responsibility. Measuring up to Christ-likeness is not something that we can do. Even when we've come to Christ and we are recognized as a new creation, it's still a process of sanctification. God sees us as perfect and justified, but we're also being sanctified. He also says set goals. Specific goals related to your specific problems with a specific pur purpose. If necessary, put them someplace and read those goals every day. Add that to your devotional time or your prayer time. And then be accountable. Ask God to provide you with an accountability partner or group Confess to one another in that group, in a safe environment where you know that these people are taking your best interest at heart. Confess to one another. Hold each other accountable as we seek to reduce any contentiousness that we might have. So, in your tables, I'd like for you to discuss a few questions. Where are you on that contentiousness continuum? 
Are you a peaceable person in general? Are you contentious in general? Or do you tend to bounce between two spots? If you become contentious, what triggers that reaction? Do you need to ask someone or, or others for forgiveness? Do you need to confess and ask forgiveness? And most importantly, how can you pray for each other regarding being made a peacemaker? What kind of follow-up are you willing to do with the guys at your table? Now may the Lord, the God of endurance and comfort, give you unity with one another in accordance with Jesus Christ so that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord, Jesus Christ. Amen.